we came in one day, the stock was down 50%. And there was a gentleman who was, you know, he must have been 60 years old or so, had been on the floor for 20 years. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes and said, I'm out of business. And to hear someone say that, you know, it was, I didn't know what that really meant. And I mean, well, what does that mean? You're out of business. You'll get some more capital and be here. And he's like, no, I'm finished. I'm done. And so that was the first realization that, you know, this isn't just games. This is, this is real money and this is real lives. And it was, uh, it, it really is. And, uh, that, that, you know, that story still, uh, resonates with me. You're listening to Traders Insight Radio by Interactive Brokers. Find more podcasts and daily market commentary at tradersinsight.news. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody, to today's Traders Insight Radio podcast. My name is Andrew Wilkinson. I am delighted to be joined today by David Eglett, head of U.S. Block Trading Desk here in Greenwich, Connecticut. Welcome, Dave. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, Andy. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me today. It's it's always interesting to get personalities from within the company. On and off, you've been a long-term employee with Interactive Brokers, but you initially came through the ranks at Timberhill. Give us a sense of your timeline. When did you begin? What's that journey been like for you, Dave? Yeah, that's great. Well, Andy, first, thanks for having me today. I'll uh, try and be as insightful and entertaining as I can um, and start off with the uh, background of, of how I even started in the business because I started in the business uh, in 1988 uh, with Timber Hill. Um, left uh, college and started a new uh, job at an insurance company, did that for about six months and realized I hated it. Half my friends were down on the floor of the trading. And, and Dave, you, you, you grew up in Chicago. I grew up in Chicago, yeah, that's correct. And uh, so most people, when they graduated high school, they either went to the trading floors or they went to college. Uh, I did a little bit of both. And Was there a preference for a particular trading floor? I mean, they trade everything in Chicago. Yeah, you know, I think more than anything, you go where your friends are. Right. And most of my friends were at the Chicago Board of Options Exchange. So it was just a, it was a natural fit to go down there and visit and see the trading floor and the screaming. And, you know, it, you either hate it or you love it. And I could tell from early on that I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So we, we went down there and uh, met a couple of the people who are still with the firm, some people who were working for Timber Hill, and they gave me the opportunity to come down there. Uh, most of the time when you go down to a training floor, uh, you're given a job as a clerk, uh, very little income. You do what you can. You get dry cleaning, lunches, things of that sort. But Timber Hill gave the option to actually have a salary and kind of a, a game plan as to how you're going to eventually become a clerk to a trader and eventually move into, you know, one of the pits of your choice to, to be able to trade options. What, what does that initial training look like? Or what did it look like back then? Or did you say 1988? So this was 1988. And, you know, things are so much different than they are now. Back then, anything goes, anything could be said. Uh, there were regular fist fights in the pit. If, you know, someone was being... Uh, not the most up and up as far as, you know, honesty and doing trades. Lacking in integrity, we'll say. Lacking in integrity, exactly. Uh, which, you know, back then that was 
kind of enjoyable. You know, yes. it was fun to be in that environment, and that's part of some of the things that would uh, attract you to that type of the business. So how long how long did you spend? What, what, what does the training look like? What, how long did you spend doing that before you moved on to something specific? Yeah, so, you know, when we first went down there, the... the the game plan was is you started out as a clerk, you did that for six to nine months, and then you moved into a pit of your choice, and you got to learn the ropes. Um, you always had Timber Hill behind you, so that was kind of important because there were a lot of times where uh, these pits were uh, boys' clubs where there were very few people, and they basically ran everything uh, from who got the trades right. to who was determined to be first or second on the trades. And, uh, you know, having a firm like Timber Hill behind you was it gave you an advantage. It, it kind of put you in a, you know, if you look at the training floor as an ocean, you were basically on a, uh, a large freighter. And, you know, you didn't have to worry about blowing out or making mistakes. All you had to do was follow the Timber Hill. It, it gave you some gravitas. It gave you some, yeah, some gravitas. And uh, it also allowed you, one of the things that Timber Hill had um, back then is we were in so many pits, you had the ability to go into all different types of pits. So you saw... So just define, define those. So th these are kind of A to Z broken up into different companies uh yeah you know a pit was you know it was a, an area where there was a group of stocks that were traded there and those stocks could be in all different types of industries what was interesting is that each stock trades differently and more importantly each pit had different traders mm. that had different personalities so to go in from pit to pit to pit you had to understand how to navigate not only the the how the stocks traded but you also had to understand the personalities that you were dealing with some pits you wanted to be more aggressive and other pits you'd be less aggressive and so what sort of flow are you seeing coming into the pit as a clerk or then as a trader and what happens yeah so the business it's funny we're talking about about how the business was then and it has changed um you know so drastically but back then you know the orders were came into the phone uh, through a booth on the floor. They would be run out to the pit with a runner. Those orders would be handed to a broker who would announce the orders, and then everyone would scream. Whoever was first would get their share of the order. And uh, if you were slow or not paying attention, you didn't participate, which is so much different than the electronic uh, trading that we see today. So now let, let, let's. What, what happens after SIBO? So one of the great things was Timber Hill gave me the opportunity to go out to San Francisco and start the Pacific Stock Exchange operation at the time. They had a small one before that had closed. But so we, we was were, this a new exchange at the time? Yeah, no, the, the exchange had been around. It was an equity floor, but they also had a small options floor. Uh, back then, there weren't as many exchanges as there were now. There were basically four, and the Pacific Exchange, their... Uh, expertise or their focus was on the technology sector being so close to Silicon right, Valley. Right. So they were known for the Microsofts, the Cisco's, the Sun Micros. These are stocks that were at the time up and comers. Uh, everyone was excited about them. They were singly listed. So there was a lot of business on the Pacific Exchange that uh, and they, Timber and Hill move, was interested in. They'd move uh, as well, I guess. Uh, and they would be very volatile, absolutely. You know, much more volatile than we see today. Um, the the interesting part about this was is at the time Pacific Exchange wasn't involved with a uh, handhelds or 
um, electronic trading at all, and they were really, um, there was a lot of pushback from the powers that be that they wanted to stay as an open outcry boys club and keep it, you know, old school, if you would. But Timber Hill at the time, we had just created these handheld that had our markets um, that would come from Greenwich, and at the time it was Valhalla. But we would send the orders, uh, or the markets would come to a base station on the floor, and then they would, um, over a wireless network, go to these handhelds. So when we had our traders in the pit, they would have the handhelds there, and that would allow uh, the trader to be able to see what exactly they wanted to trade. So what was the driving force to get Timber Hill on the Pacific Coast floor? Well, it's it's always advantageous to trade in markets where the markets are wide, they're singly listed, and there's a lot of volume. And so at the Pacific Exchange, there was a lot of all of that. As I said, there was a lot of pushback in letting this firm from the East Coast come out there with this new technology and give the ability of a trader that's standing in the pit um, live updated quotes that are electronically sent. And that went on for years. And it wasn't until one of the vice presidents of the exchange had talked to us in Chicago and said, listen, you know, we're, we're changing. We're interested in uh, your technology. We're interested in moving in that direction. And so it was a great opportunity. I got to go out there and start the operation, bring on a nice staff. We had, you know, probably a dozen traders and half a dozen clerks. Uh, and it was a great experience and, for and me you really personally. Es- you really yeah. established it. You left it there on the map. Yeah, yeah I loved it. So now you, you've, you're not just an equity options trader, right? You've done other stuff. Yeah, so as, as what happens in the trading business, you end up trading a lot of different things. Um, when I left the Pacific Exchange, I went back to Chicago and was on the floor of the Chicago Board of Options Exchange as a, a sole prop. I had left Timber Hill for a little bit. And at this point, there were more exchanges popping up. Everything was duly listed. The edge you know, fell out of the marketplace. It was hard to make money. And so most of the people on there kind of went to different avenues to trade. You know, Some went to commodities, others went to futures, some went to Forex. Uh, there was a group of us that went and started trading the yield curve, which is a, it's a very simple trade. It's basically trading the five-year, 10-year, and 30-year against each other. It's a mean reversion trade. You don't go home with a position. And as it, the trade is weak, you buy it. As it goes higher, you sell it. And you know, at the end of the day, you hope that you can uh, uh, go home flat. That was a, it was a different experience because, you know, trading futures compared to options is a lot easier. Um, you know, it's, it's, they either go up or they go down. Uh, you want volatility because the thing moves all over the place. Um, and so we did that for a couple of years. I went down to Florida and um, was a yield curve trader down there. Eventually met my wife, uh, knew we were going to start a family. And then I reached back out to Timber Hill and uh, Jeff Shaw, who was running the ch- the trading operations, and asked him, is there a spot in Chicago for me to go back to? And he said, uh, unfortunately not, but if you'd like to come to the mothership in Greenwich, uh, you're more than welcome. And I had to look on a map since I'd never been to the <laughs> East Coast before. And uh, Was that a big shock? Uh, that was a big shock, uh, you know funny story that I always tell is when I told my uh, wife now that we were moving to Greenwich, she started crying and said, I don't want to be a Stepford wife. <laughs> but that was uh, a long time ago. 
<laughs> so fun, funnily enough, I, I used to live in Wilton, and Wilton is where the Stepford Wives, or the, the author, wrote about the wives in the town oh, is back in right? the 60s. It was Wilton, it wasn't Greenwich. No, it was Wilton. Oh, okay. Yeah, a, a legend has it. Yeah. <laughs> legend has it. So that was a great opportunity because now I come to Greenwich where it's brand new, uh, you know, new, a new area to live. Uh, I had been involved with Timber Hill for so long, but very rarely uh, for the guys that were on the floor, did we ever have the opportunity to come upstairs and see how everything was, was priced, mm -hmm. you know? We would always look at this as is that the guys who were upstairs, and we would call the upstairs trading floor the bridge, uh, were the ones that pulled the strings right. for the orders that would or the pricing that would go down to the floor. So it was interesting to see a different side of the business. It was a great opportunity for someone who had very limited knowledge of programming and uh, algorithms and things of that sort to see, you know, firsthand how all this uh, operated and how Timber Hill would program a lot of the pricing that I had been seeing for years down on the trading floor. What was a great opportunity was, as Jeff at the time said, hey, listen, you know, you have some experience in futures. We've always wanted to be involved with commodities. Would you mind starting a commodities operation for us? Uh, so it was a great opportunity. It was uh, the ability to kind of delve into something that I didn't know a lot about and learn about it on the fly at the time. Uh, options on futures, 90% of the order flow was in the pit. Only 10% was electronic. And what that means is, is that the markets are wider. There's a lot more edge. Uh, they were welcoming to electronic access via handhelds or anything else that we would want to bring down to the floor. So we were able to have some people down on the floor able to access a lot of this order flow open outcry, as well as being able to establish streaming quotes electronically to the exchange. So this was a great opportunity. There was a lot of edge. We picked four commodities that we were interested in, gold, silver, net gas, and uh, crude oil. And uh, You got the big ones there. Yeah, we had the big ones there. And, you know, the combination of trading on the floor and trading electronically, we were doing a lot of volume. And uh, in the beginning, it was... Uh, it was worthwhile. Yeah, and I think they've just got more and more liquid electronically over time, right? The, the and it, it wasn't far, it wasn't long after we started that uh, a lot of the order flow did go from the pit yeah. electronically. I think it was within a couple of years that the percentage of order flow had changed. It went from 90 open outcry to 10. It switched where it was 90% electronic and 10%. Uh, open outcry. So, so you, you've earned your stripes across a lot of different markets, uh, which which puts you in in a in the driving seat when it comes to heading up the block execution desk. You're one of the few people at this company that actually speaks to clients. I, I think a lot of our customers don't actually know that. Tell us a little bit about the the, the, the desk. What what what's your role? Who are the clients? What, what do you have to do to handhold or, or facilitate? Oh, that's great. Thanks, Andy, for asking that question. Uh, and that's what I'm most excited about now. Uh, Kevin Fisher, who is a longtime Timber Hill employee, uh, just like I did, followed, you know, being on the trading floor and then moving up. Uh, in 2007, was asked to leave the floor and come to Greenwich and create the block desk. So a lot of what we have today is due to, you know, all the work that Kevin Fisher had put together. Um, and, you know, he's done a fantastic job 
in setting up the block desk as it is. What I'm excited about is the, some of the things that we're going to do to change the block desk in order to make it you're more visible. When I was given the opportunity to come back and manage the block desk, uh, it was really, it was for one, a perfect fit, but it was also very exciting. Um, it was exciting to see a different, another, again, a different part of the business, but it was also exciting in the growth that I think the block desk has ability to it's exciting to see that there is a lot of potential for the block desk to grow, um, especially as the markets change. We have a great crew at the block desk. Um, the and team. You don't just trade uh, options there either, right? There are there are other products too. Uh, you know, our our primary goal at the block desk is really to trade options and equities. We do trade um, futures. We don't do a lot of that business, but options and equities. Uh, are really what our focal point is. We do have the ability to trade some of the equities on the European exchanges, which seems to be gaining a little bit more interest. Um, but really our focus, Andy, is, is really the, the, the options and the equity side of it. So what, why does a client get in touch with you in the first place? Why do they call you? What do you offer them that is an improvement to what somebody can do in Trader Workstation as a self-directed trader? So, you know, great question. And, you know, we all know that the interactive brokers trading workstation is a self-trading platform. I mean, that was what it is designed for. We want our customers to come on board with minimal uh, uh, personal interaction, set up the, their accounts electronically, being able to manage them electronically. There's so much uh, available to a client with the trader workstation whether it's creating algorithms, if they're a financial advisor, creating groups, being able to allocate trades across their client platforms. Um, but there is always going to be a segment of our clients that love to be able to talk to someone. And that's where we come in. The block desk gives the ability of clients to call in um, for us to access their accounts real time and be able to execute trades for them. You're a bit of a sounding board. We're, you know, you could say that we're a bit of a sounding board. We we can put um, a finer touch on some of their executions. If you're a financial advisor, you know, you want to spend most of your time building your book, out talking to clients, um, growing your business. You don't have time to watch your orders all day long, and we have the ability to do that. Mm -hmm. If you want to call in and know what the market is doing, we have the ability to help you there. If you're a hedge fund. Maybe you don't want to spend the additional capital in, for a trader, and you don't want to sit there and watch the order execution the entire day. Well, we have the ability to do that. So, you know, there, there is definitely a segment of the IB client base that loves to call us. We have cu customers or clients that call us all the time. Uh, sometimes they just want to know what the market's doing while they're traveling. Other times we're working orders for them over several days. And I think that something you, you, you taught me recently, David, was that it's not necessarily simply dedicated to large clients. That's true, Andy. We have all different types of customers. We have customers with over $100 million worth of uh, equity, and then we also have clients that have uh, quite a bit less. I think the key to what we're trying to do at the block desk is we're trying to create relationships with some of the IB clients that need a little bit more hand holding. 
what we're trying to accomplish on the block desk is we're trying to provide relationships. So if there are clients out there that need maybe a little bit more handholding, they have the ability to call someone and talk to them and we can help them execute their trades. And this also extends to corporate bonds in the US as well? That's the other thing that we're pretty excited about. So uh, Joe Burke was uh, fantastic to work with. I've worked with him for over a dozen years. He's been in charge of the bond trading side of things for a while. Uh, he's doing great things in expanding the corporate uh, bond business. And in fact, we just recently hired someone to help him on who has a lot of experience with the Latin American sector. And uh, I guess that's pretty, really pretty timely with what's happening with the Fed, Fed too. Absolutely. You know, as we're seeing interest rates rise, there's definitely more interest in corporate bond trading. And we can see that already with the amount of phone calls we're uh, receiving. David, what can, what can you tell us about the client psychology during the, the bearish first half of 2022? You must see fear and greed all the time. Yeah, you know, it's... Um, it's definitely been a challenging time for IB clients. Uh, it's good for some of them. People good like for to some. trade volatility. Uh, some do like to trade volatility. Uh, but in general, I think when the market gets very volatile and has a downturn, in general, we see less business. Mm -hmm. uh, people are less speculative and they're more interested in uh, capital uh, preservation than appreciation. What's your favorite trading story, Dave? Do you, do you have a meaningful client story that others can learn from? You know, I, you talk about trading stories. You know, there's just one that really resonates with me, and it's when I first started in the business. And it was one of the first times, must, I must have been only trading for a year or so, and we were in an equity pit. And I came in, and there was a stock that was down 50%. And you know, the pit dynamics is really interesting because you sit around and for all the times that things aren't trading, you really get to know the guys that are around you. Um, funny story, there was a guy who was around me, sat, literally stood next to me for two years and his badge was MZU. So I used to call him Mizzou. He went to Missouri, University of Missouri. And his wife called one time and said, is Jeff there? And I'm just like, there's no Jeff here. And he's like, wait, my name is Jeff. And I said, I had no idea your name was Jeff. <laughs> but the, the story that I could think of is, you know, you, so my point being is that you get to, as much as you get to know everyone on a personal basis, you know, how much do you really know about them? But we came in one day, the stock was down 50%. And there was a gentleman who was, you know, he must have been 60 years old or so, had been on the floor for 20 years. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes and said, I'm out of business. And to hear someone say that, you know, it was, I, I didn't know what that really meant. And I mean, well, what does that mean? You're out of business. You'll get some more capital and be here. And he's like, no, I'm finished. I'm done. And so that was the first realization that, you know, this isn't just games. This is, this is real money and this is real lives. And it was, uh, it's where fortunes are made and lost. It really is. And uh, that, that, you know, that story still uh, resonates with me. Uh, I, I don't want to end, end it on that. And it's very sad. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> Dave, many clients probably don't know about, about you or the Block Trading Desk. How can someone contact the team? 
Uh, great question, Andy, and it's definitely something I wanted to end with is if anyone is interested in knowing more about the Block Desk or how we might be able to help their business, they can go on to the IBKR website in the trading section. We just rebranded our uh, brochure, all the information as far as our minimums and what we could provide, whether you're a financial advisor or a hedge funder there. We're more than willing to take a phone call and, let, and see if there's a, a way that we might be able to help your business. One thing that I really want clients to understand, not just clients, but some of the sales staff, is that you have an asset in the block desk with over 50 years combined experience between the five of us. Um, so you have the ability to access. It's another tool in your repertoire on how to promote IBKR and IBKR trading. And if you are ever interested in uh, hearing more about us, by all means, feel free to reach out. And if you want to reach out by email, you can contact David on OptionDesk at Interactive Brokers or for Joe Burke, reach him at BondDesk at InteractiveBrokers.com. David Eglett, thank you for being a splendid guest today. Uh, it's always great to go back in time with people. Uh, particularly those, those around us w within the company. And you've come from that great place, Timber Hill. Um, so it's it's always good to uh, make contact with people from there. Andy, thanks for having me. Uh, I hope he g gave you enough information to uh, to be entertaining as well as informative. It was, uh, it was a pleasure spending some time with you. You're very welcome. Thank you very much, David. And thanks to the audience. Don't forget, folks, you can find more market color at tradersinsight.news. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Traders Insight Radio. As always, there's more content at tradersinsight.news. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education materials such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. Options involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. For more information, read the characteristics and risks of standardized options, or ODD, which may be accessed through the link found in the show's notes or podcast description page. Futures are not suitable for all investors. The amount you may lose may be greater than your initial investment. Before trading futures, please read the CFTC Risk Disclosure. A copy and additional information are available at ibkr.com. The order types available through Interactive Broker LLC's Trader Workstation are designed to help you limit your loss and or lock in a profit. Market conditions and other factors may affect execution. In general, orders guarantee a fill or guarantee a price, but not both. In extreme market conditions, an order may either be executed at a different price than anticipated or may not be filled in the marketplace. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice.